Hi. Hi. So here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Okay. So this is our fir first podcast. Yes. Yeah. We're already really good at this. <laughs> yeah, right. I could tell. <laughs> We're excellent, especially if you saw the... Uh, <laughs> the lead up. The lead, the, yeah, yeah, the half hour putting in batteries lead up. Yeah, well, it all worked out. Yep. We're in business. You're already good at this. You're already relaxed. Yes. You're a natural. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, Vedic meditation. Yes. This is what you teach. This is what I teach. Take two. Hello, this is Slouching Towards Enlightenment <laughs> with Brienne Rose and Teo Burkhart. We don't know what we're doing. Welcome to our podcast. <laughs> when I first learned this, I didn't want to go to group meditations. I didn't want to. I didn't want to meet the community. I didn't want to know those people at all. I was afraid of what they were like. I didn't want to like sit in a room. What the, the meditators were like. Yeah, I was like, I, I had this idea that they're all going to wear white and crystals, and that <laughs> they're going to have weird names and say namaste to me. And I just couldn't stomach it. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to know them. I wanted to meditate and party and write, and mm -hmm. that's it. I wanted my own friends, and I just want to meditate. I didn't want to meet weirdos um so i resisted the knowledge aspect of it mm -hmm. for a long time but meditation does seem like it lends itself to being done alone so it's interesting it does, that group meditations yeah. are such like this is something that people do and participate in a lot that's yeah and that's true it's, it's a very solitary experience and yeah. which is how i liked it but in group meditations you practicing the solitary having a shared experience with other meditators is I didn't understand what that was about, but mm -hmm. it, it it can have really amazing results. It's like if you're sitting on a trampoline by yourself, the trampoline will dip a little bit. But if you pile 20 of your friends on that trampoline, everyone's going to help bring everyone deeper. Right. You know, the fabric will, there's more weight on it. So you'll go down uh, a lot deeper. And I didn't know that. And, and the other thing I didn't know was that during group meditations, there's a lot of knowledge. And the knowledge supports the technique. Okay, so the difference, and, and I, I come from the same path that you did. I was doing mindfulness for a long time. Mm -hmm. I, was, I got into meditation because I was bit by a tick and got Lyme disease. So I was very sick and looking for, I always, I always was kind of interested in meditation. And I was mm -hmm. hoping it was something I could do. But I was, had a lot of doubts because I'm, everyone's told me I'm ADD, including doctors and psychologists and and test results <laughs> i don't know if i, I so don't... you may or may not be add this well is... <laughs> it's more the only the thing i have with it is i i i refuse to accept the fact that there's any deficiency right. of attention yeah it's not a deficiency of attention in my experiences i put my attention where i want not where other people want me to put the attention therefore they think i have a deficiency in attention my attention's fine yeah I just put it where I want to put it, and I can't help where it goes. Yeah. So I just go for the ride. So you may have like defiance attention disorder. Yes, or <laughs> exactly. I have a that's a good way of saying it. So, um, but I never thought I'd be able to focus, and yeah. then because I, I was sick, it sort of forced me into trying meditation. And I had the same thing that you did. Yeah. I, I couldn't concentrate, and I felt that it was very difficult and of the best meditations I had and I stuck with it for a while because mm -hmm. I was desperate um, but the best meditations I ever had were were boring but it was very rare that I had a good or boring meditation and I don't like being bored either so it's no I was either bored stiff or I was in excruciating agony mm -hmm. over the, the discomfort that happened when I was trying to focus on my breath or not think. All I, what I found is all I did was think. And I did this for like three years. Like I really stuck with it because I was kept trying and kept trying. That's impressive. I did not but stick I was, with it for three right. years. I, but you weren't dying. <laughs> right. I was. Very and I was true. like trying to Very like. Um, and then finally I had to sort of admit to myself that, that 
it sucked and that it didn't work and that there were no perceivable benefits that I was enjoying with my eyes open. So my conclusion was that I was not happy in life. And when I went to meditate, I was even more miserable. Mm -hmm. So then I thought, why am I wasting my time? Right. Um, and then I did this and immediately I was, I, it was like night and day. It was everything I ever wanted. I, it was easy. I could do it. Um, I was, it felt not only was it easy, it felt really good while doing it. Yeah. I was having experiences that were almost drug-like, you know, where I was, where I was not just tripping, but I was like, the body felt good. I wasn't crawling out of my skin. I wasn't panicking. And then in my eyes open waking state, I felt calmer. I felt more hopeful. I felt happy again. I felt creative. I had energy. And did this happen for you immediately? Immediately. Just, yeah. That's what was crazy. And yeah. I and we talked about this before. I, I had I was cured of Lyme disease, but not from insomnia. And the insomnia was a direct product of having of being really sick. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Lyme disease was cured, but the the insomnia persisted and my insomnia ended the day I learned this meditation. And that was extraordinary. So I, and I thought it was a fluke, but it wasn't. I just started sleeping again. So there was that and I, and I thought, well, if this is all it ever does is give me, give me my sleep back, I'm sticking with this. Right. I'm doing this twice a day. And that was the least it did. And everything else started happening. I just became, I just bounced back after yeah. what seemed like you know, nine years or eight years of being just sat on by stress and fatigue and illnesses. And, um, and it was so good that I had to teach. Yeah. So I think that there, there's just, there's well, a, a clear de delineation between different types of meditations and right. the type that I have learned from you, Vedic is a very specific. Well, what did you learn? What, what were you doing? Um, mindfulness. Okay. And it was through an app. And, and what was your experience? Um, I would get easily frustrated with my inability to focus on not focusing, right. to keep thoughts out. Mm -hmm. um, that would be really frustrating. And the time felt like it was really slow. It just, it felt like a chore rather than something that I benefited from. It felt like mm -hmm. something that I had to, I just, it didn't stick. And what is your experience now in meditation? I look forward to my meditations. <laughs> um, although we have to juggle with the babies and sure. you know making all that work, but um, mm -hmm. I really look forward to them. They fly by. It doesn't. Sometimes twenty minutes will happen, and mm -hmm. I think is it easy? It's easy. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So yoga, just to be clear, isn't just asanas. Mm. It's not just sitting in a room stretching and doing warrior pose or downward dog or anything like that. Those are those are asanas. Yoga is unifying individual consciousness with universal consciousness. That's what it is. Yoga means to yoke. Mm -hmm. So you're yoking those two together. And that can be done in various different ways. But yoga generally in India means the union of individuality to universality. Okay. Not just asanas. So when you hear Maharishi talk about yoga, he generally isn't just speaking of asanas, though it doesn't exclude asanas or pose, yoga poses as well. So he said, <clears throat> and Vedanta, and I got to say what Vedanta is. So <laughs> <laughs> I got to give all, the, the, all this context, but this the is good. Footnotes. We're getting the footnotes yes. right now. Okay. So Vedanta, the Vedas are a collection of, what is it? It's, it's sort of like the reports from the studies or the reports and cognitions of consciousness. And, uh, and so the Vedas isn't just one book. Like, we, you know, it's not like they have, there's one book like the Bible or right. the Torah or whatever, the Quran. It's, it's, there's several writings um, and some of them are mythos. They're stories. Some of them are different hymns or sounds, aphorisms, treatises there are all these different kinds of vedas and but they all basically are a report on how consciousness works and when i say consciousness i don't just mean the individual consciousness but mm -hmm. everything in the universe is conscious and we're all one thing 
And if you and if you were to sum up Vedanta, it is there's one thing in the universe, it's consciousness, and you're that. Everything is that, all this is that. There's no separation. Everything is actually unified, but through our perception, we can only perceive diversity. And that perception of diversity, thinking that you're separate than anything, is the root of all suffering. And finding unity is how we diminish suffering and then ultimately abolish it altogether. So Maharishi said, and I quote, without yoga, Vedanta is incomplete. Without Vedanta, yoga is unfulfilled. This is the relationship between the two most effective systems of Indian philosophy, darshanas, effective in the sense of enlightenment, yoga and Vedanta. Now, these are only two aspects of Indian philosophy, darshanas. Mm -hmm. There are four other systems of India, Indian philosophies. But the, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the point there is that first part. Without yoga, Vedanta is incomplete. In other words, it's good to learn a meditation practice, but you want the knowledge to go with it. Right. Um, and without Vedanta, yoga is unfulfilled. So if you're, you're not getting this knowledge, uh, whatever techniques you're doing won't you, you won't get the, the full benefits from it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like driving a car. You need the technique of driving. You can't just own a car. You have to know how to turn your blinker on right. and steer how fast to go. So maybe this podcast will serve new meditators or seasoned meditators and give them little bits of info to help them with their practice. Exactly. That's, exactly. That's, I think that's the hope is that, you know, there's yeah. people are drawn to that information so that they can really follow it if they feel, yeah, exactly. feel like they want to. Yeah. And you know already that <laughs> <laughs> she's having a laugh. Okay, sorry. I'm fine. I'm fine. Okay. Yes. And you know, this is weird, isn't it? It's so weird. We may have to start over, but yes. Okay. <laughs> but all everything, no, this is all great. This is all great. I but so to to speak to the the sort of mind-body connection, because one thing you said early on when we started working together was that yoga is really the body showing the mind the direction and meditation is really and I this is paraphrasing and yeah. I'm poorly paraphrasing, but um that meditation is the mind sort of informing Right. What I said was, when I said yoga, I mean asanas. Okay. When you do asanas, the body is becoming still yeah. and the mind is following the body. Yes. And then in Vedic meditation, the mind is becoming still yeah. and the body is following the mind. Yes. So, uh, and, and I, I have to admit that I haven't done a lot of different kinds of yoga. Yeah. Like I, I don't like going to, st I hate hot yoga. Hate 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 it um I, with a passion the last time i did hot yoga was was this I, I just it was it was too humiliating i had to take off all my clothes i was in my underwear i was dripping sweat and sliding around on the floor and i looked up and there was you know there's like a crowd of people and there was a girl like at the front of the class and we, we were doing some pose where like you're looking under your legs and behind you. Right. And it was a girl I went on a date with. <laughs> a date with once. And I'm pouring sweat. And I'm not wearing clothes. And she waved to me. I'm like, yeah, this is. My face is all red. I was heaving. I don't like. I generally just don't like yoga classes. Right. I don't, but I've done a lot of certain asanas. Yeah. But I, I, I want to make sure everyone understands that I'm not a yogi. <laughs> <laughs> As in, like, I don't, you know, put on yoga clothes and go right. do yoga with a bunch of people. I don't like hot yoga either, so you're in good company. Yes. Although I more do, like, the deer on ice thing where my leg, I just, like, slip yeah, and slide out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't stay upright. Um, so it's a very awkward situation. So, yeah, we're not here to talk about hot yoga, but... <laughs> no, but it's fun to mention. Um so I don't know where I was going with that. Well, so I got lost in the image of, <laughs> of me flailing around. So let's talk a little bit about Vedic meditation okay. and what 
type of meditation that is because I had tried meditation in the past that really, I, I liked it, but it really didn't stick. And yeah. it wasn't something that I felt as um, moved by as I have with this experience. Are we still going? Yeah, we are. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, the difference is with these meditations is mindfulness Mindfulness is a concentrative technique, meaning it demands concentration. Mm. You're concentrating on something. There's either a point of focus, like your third eye, or maybe a candle, you know, if your eyes are open, um, or your breath, or something like that. Some point of focus, and what's implied is that you're supposed to think that at the exclusion to everything else. Right. Don't let your mind wander. and Or at least that's what was told to me. You know, and then uh, and then contemplative techniques are got like more like guided meditations where you're sitting there and someone's sort of like they have that voice. They're like, now imagine an orb of white it. light <laughs> yeah. filling your tummy, and the rays go out of your fingers, yeah. and you look up and you're sitting on the lap of yourself. <laughs> You know, or something like that. That sounds very complicated. How yeah. are you sitting on the lap of... No. You're supposed that's... to... You're imagining it. That was actually... I did one once and that when I was in, in college. I went to a very stressful college. They put in a class that everybody had to take, which was stress management. Oh. It was like a meditation. It was just to get people to meditate. What's funny is I went back to that college, by the way, to, to offer meditation to the students and they rejected me. <gasps> what? Isn't that funny? You'd think. You would think. Yes. And, and Especially as an alumni. Yep. And not only that, but always right before finals, there's a bomb scare. What? You know it's a student who's not done with their project. So they call in a bomb scare. <laughs> so they're, they're trying. And every single time, finals. Anyway, uh, very stressful school. But um, so, so there's contemplative, concentrative, and then Vedic meditation is a self-automatic self-automatic transcending technique mm -hmm. so you trigger something the technique triggers this experience where um, you will naturally and automatically settle into your simplest form of awareness or your least excited state you don't have to work to get there in fact if if you do work or use effort or focus or control, you actually interfere with the natural process of it. Mm -hmm. So you can disturb the meditation by applying mindfulness, applying anything that you and I hated about meditation right. to the technique. If you focus, it won't work. If you try, it won't work. If you use effort, it won't work. If you control, it won't work. If you do no nothing, it works like gangbusters. <laughs> There's this uh, phrase that you've said may do less. Yes, so the, that's the, a phrase in our, not only our community, but tradition. Yeah. Uh, do less, accomplish more. Yes. Do nothing, accomplish everything. Yes. And you'll know even by now, because you're at about six weeks, mm -hmm. that your best meditations happened automatically. Right. Where you actually were doing less than you normally do. So I like this a lot because uh, thoughts are okay. And... And the experiences are way more profound and way deeper than anything I have ever experienced in mindfulness. So you get a mantra. These, there's all sorts of different kinds of mantras. These are, they are called anamana poetic, pachaka pitta pacifying, bija mantras. Say that seven times quickly. <laughs> anamana poetic, pachaka pitta <laughs> I can't. Okay. So onomatopoetic. They're onomatopoeias. They have no meaning. Everyone always wants to know what their mantra means, even after I tell them this. It doesn't mean anything. They have no implied meaning. Yeah. Um, they're onomatopoeias, meaning they're, they're sounds of something you might hear in nature. We say they have no implied meaning because they've been around for so long, they've kind of gotten out over mm -hmm. the past several thousand years. So... A very, I've had this experience where I've been in India in a tuk-tuk, bouncing along on my way back to the hotel, and I'll look up and see it like a motorcycle repair shop. <laughs> but it'll, the name of the motorcycle repair shop is my mantra, and it can be very freaky when you see it because it's not supposed to be out like right. that. You know, I asked you how to spell mine initially, and that we 
we're not right. supposed to write them down or that's right yes they they're they don't like the relative field yeah they, they have preferences they, they're sentient remember everything is conscious and and if anything is conscious it'll have preferences it'll have likes and dislikes and it'll have certain behaviors yeah you know we have certain behaviors the moon has certain behaviors even these little mantras have certain behaviors so you get these so there's their onomatopoeias they're pachaka pitta pacifying it means they pacify or calm down or cool down pachaka pitta pachaka pitta means hungry fire or all-consuming fire and that's a very poetic way of saying the stress in the collective so it's like taking a big bucket of ice water and throwing it on your heated up stresses. It's cooling down stresses. It's actually removing stresses from the nervous system. And bija means seed. Mm. So we're taking these little seeds and we're planting them in your head. You know, and kind of like with a seed, unless it's a mint seed, it turns out, you push them into the ground. And, and the process, the way I teach, there's that process. You don't know what that's happening. Mm-hmm. But the reason we do that is it, it, the mantras work better in their subtlest form. So the mantras, you know, when I told you we don't write them down or anything like yeah. that, it, they are, most thoughts we have take us from the layer of thinking into the layer of action. So if we have a thought, it's going to ultimate, that thought will express itself through action or speech. You think something, we're going to say it or we're going to do it. Bija mantras take us from the layer of thinking into the layer of being. They're always returning back to their source. And the closer they get to the source, the more happier they are. And the more imbued with charm they become. They work on charm. It's like a comet. A comet doesn't light up in that celestial way until it gets close to the sun. Mm-hmm. You know, so as... As these mantras get deeper and deeper, they, they take on a more celestial glow, pulling our attention naturally in. And they do that because our minds will always move towards greater happiness automatically. Uh, I've used this example a million times, but it's like you go to a cafe because you want to read your book. Okay. And you're reading your book, and while you're reading it, some melodious new indie song comes on the speaker and you don't know who the band is all you know is like you're kind of tapping your feet and you should be reading lonesome dove your focus is actually on the book yeah but your mind has been captivated by the charm of the song that you haven't heard before yeah so it's moved effortlessly in that direction this happens all the time you know it happens when we hear a nice song when we see an attractive person when we get a good idea mm-hmm. whatever it is our minds are always they're like radars. They're always looking for greater happiness. And when they detect something that is imbued with charm that might make you a little happier, it'll automatically go in that direction whether you like it or not. And we leverage that with these mantras. We give you mantras that are charming in nature, mm-hmm. and they're only charming in their subtlest form. So when you're saying them out loud or you write them down, they have no charm. In fact, they look kind of clunky. If you wrote them down, you think, so what? But when you think them in your mind and then they start to become more subtle and more faint, then that enchantment begins. And they start pulling you naturally into deeper and deeper states of consciousness where um, you start to feel your body settle, you start to feel the mind settle, you start to feel a little blissed out, and you start to forget to think. You get a little dopey. I don't know if you've noticed that, but when you're really deep, you kind of are in this forgetful, dopey mood. And that's because you're blissed out. You're mm-hmm. close, you're very close to the source of all thinking, which is pure being or pure consciousness. And that pure being or consciousness is an ocean of bliss. It's an ocean of intelligence and bliss. And it <clears throat> it's so blissful, it radiates it out, almost like a fireplace radiates heat. So when you start to become blissful because you're close to that field, you start to forget to think because thinking is all about finding fulfillment. And finally, you forget to think the mantra because you're too blissed out. Thinking stops, it's arrested mm-hmm. because you don't need to think anymore because you found that fulfillment within and you transcend. 
your mind moves beyond thinking altogether, and now you're in a a state of almost suspended animation where your body's resting often much deeper than when you're sleeping. Mm-hmm. And there's no thoughts to replace the mantra because you found what Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven within you. You've discovered that and you're having a direct experience with it. You're just blissed out, no thoughts, fully aware. And then because your body is resting deeply, the nervous system goes into action. It's the nervous system's opportunity, sometimes the first opportunity it's had in years to purge stresses, deep-rooted stresses from the nervous system. And it creates that, the nervous system becomes excited. There's like a laundering effect. And then stresses start to get purged. Excitement of the nervous system creates more thinking. So thinking begins again. And thoughts like, well, you know, little thought bubbles will effervesce up from the bottom of consciousness, bringing your attention back to the conscious thinking layer where you remember you're meditating and you remember you're off the mantra. And then you go back to the mantra. And it all happens. It sounds kind of complicated, but as you know, it's actually not at all. Right. It's, it's, it happens auto- totally automatically. I remember thinking the first time after I was given my mantra, mm-hmm. meditating, this isn't going to work. This is not working. Come on. This is not working. And then all of a sudden it like took over, which yeah. was a really crazy, just to surrender to that a little bit was very strange for me personally. Mm-hmm. And then it just whisked you away. I mean, it was, I, even in the midst of me thinking, this is not going to work. Right. And that's, it's really incredible how that works. Yeah. How that happens. Yeah, the mantra kind of, it's like, um, oh, what's the word? It, 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 it's like, uh, it's subversive or something. Like yeah. it, take, it gets in there and knows how to take over. Yes. Even if you're, even if you tried not to make it work, yeah. <laughs> if you keep listening to the sound of the mantra, you can't help it. Yes. You can't help it because this is how our minds operate. Our minds are looking for something charming and and the more charming things get the more enchanted we are Mm -hmm. and it'll just draw us in anywhere and it just sort of repeats itself you don't Mm -hmm. even have to it the whole thing happens automatically yeah and this is why this is why we say it's effortless effortless is the experience but in a way it also describes a lot of the technique effortlessness is the technique Mm -hmm. um but my job as a teacher is to train people how to be effortless. Most people think they know how. But in my experience as a teacher, no one knows how anymore. Everyone, you all used to know how when you right. were a kid. Yeah. But you just, you know, I, I remember, like, I told, I, there was this woman I, I uh, initiated, and I told her all of this. And then right before we initiated, I initiated her, she kind of went, <sighs> Like something was wrong. She had this defeated sigh right before I started. I looked at her and I said, what's wrong? And she said, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. I said, why? And she said, I'm afraid I won't be able to focus. And I said, that's funny because I'm afraid you won't be able to do anything but. We had just had this conversation where no focus is let and she still had it in her mind that it's about focus. 20 minutes of telling her it wasn't and she still was connected this is how deep-rooted our training is from parents and teachers that focus and effort yield success, which I'm sure it does in, you know, if you're a rocket scientist or you play rugby or something, but this is not that. <laughs> this is the antithesis of that. And this is why I became a master. Yeah. Because I can't focus on anything. <laughs> I'm sloppy and distracted, and, I, and, and this works really well with me. I finally... I, fi- I can finally uh, teach my own uh, life theory to people. But that's the incredible thing about it is it's so simple. Mm-hmm. And our brains tell us, that, well, this is too simple. This can't be some kind of solution. We have to work hard for solutions. Or we work at to- all. Yeah. Or even work a little. Yeah. Like we think, at first we think, well, I'm going to have to work at this. And after a while, it's like, well, actually, I don't have to work that hard, but I'll, I'll work a little at it. But even the slightest amount of effort 
disrupts the whole thing. Yeah. If you do nothing, I think a lot of it is we want to be responsible for the experience that we're having. The ego really wants to be responsible for yes. it. Um, but it isn't. It's just the mantra is. You know, the mantra and the correct use of the mantra just takes us into that inner state of transcendence and and then through transcendence, through deep rest, really nature is taking over. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is nature? Nature is everything. We're nature itself. But, na- but we can't, nature can't do what it wants to do unless we surrender to it. And this is a way of actively surrendering to nature's intelligence so nature can rebuild us from the inside. Yeah. That it's sounds great. <laughs> you should try it. <laughs> you should try it. And so the mantras are secret. Yeah, yeah, it's a good idea if they're kept secret. Why is um, that? There's a whole myth like some people kind of get caught up in like, oh, they're secret, you know, this kind of thing. But really it's it's more I would say it's more accurate to say that they're personal. Yes. Um, and there's a few reasons why we suggest keeping them secret. But it's not like it's this big secret. I don't want to, that's, in a way that's misleading. But they're very personal because, um, one, they're yours. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a couple reasons. First, they don't like the relative field. I know this might sound ridiculous to some people that a sound has preferences, but they do. The sound doesn't, these mantras like to be uh, where, they they like to be in their fullest potential. And where is that? Deep in the mind. Um, They're almost debilitated in a way if you bring them out into the relative field, like writing them down or saying them out loud. Because when you do that, they don't have any charm. And it's kind of like, you know, if, if I was invited to, I'm, I'm not a sports guy at all. I like, like, like body Darn surfing. Darn it, because that was what I wanted to talk about next. With <laughs> I'm not like a body surfer, but I've been, because I'm a dude and I have all my friends are into sports, yeah. I have often been invited to things like touch football. I don't want to do that. And there's a good reason. Uh, it's it's embarrassing, <laughs> but I go anyway, and I have a good time, and I'm embarrassed and whatever. Yeah. But I am not living up to my potential with a bunch of like you know getting my shoulder hurt and like <laughs> I can't catch, I can't throw, and I've always been like that. It's always been like a little sore spot growing up because I'm just like you put me out on on any kind of like I'd get picked last. Everyone knew, you know, or like you know a team would be like, okay, uh, you guys get tan, they all, all go. Ah, you know, like this. So the point is, it's not just to be self-deprecating, but I don't, it's embarrassing. (laughs) I don't want to do that. And we're like my mom. My mom is, she has fantastic hair her whole life. And everyone's always complimented her on her hair. Mm -hmm. But if I were to drag her out to the boulevard for breakfast while her hair is still in curlers, it, she would feel a little debilitated. She's, she would feel vulnerable. Yes. And, um, and I wouldn't do that because I know what her preference is. Um, and I would wait until her hair is done. Uh, actually, the whole world waits until her, <laughs> hair, her, hair, her hair is done. Uh, so there's certain things in life just have these preferences and mantras. Are, are, it's kind of like your introverted friend. Your introverted friend doesn't want to go to the big party with you. Your introverted friend is hoping you'll say, hey, can we just meet for tea, the two of us? And then your introverted friend opens up. Yeah. That's, but you're not going to say, hey, um, you want to go to a rave? They're going to be like, no. (laughs) So mantras don't like to be taken out in the relative field. Okay. Just, they lose their charm. I, I know someone who saw their mantra written down they saw their mantra written down somewhere and they almost quit the practice which is very telling because it what they saw was like oh that isn't magic at all yeah because they're seeing it in the relative field yeah and i just said just ignore that and then when they meditated again and closed their eyes it was there in a charming way again so we don't bring it out for that reason um 
the other thing is, is, is we live in a, this is the age, and we'll talk about this in the future, but this is the age of ignorance. It's the Kali Yuga. And, and right now, as you notice, everybody likes to trivialize everything. And you don't want to tell someone your mantra and then have them trivialize it or trivialize your experience. You know what your experience is. But we see this all the time. You know, we, you know, uh, like a couple, like a married couple might get initiated. And then a year later, like, you tell me your mantra, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> and you do that. And then, and then, you know, at a dinner party, people have had too much wine. And you're talking about m- mantras and someone says, well, I can't tell you my mantra. And the husband goes, it's this. <laughs> and then it's like, it, it feels like an invasion mm. or, or someone set promises they, they'll never say anything. But then after a while, they think that's stupid and they start calling you that by, as your nickname or something. We don't want to give people an opportunity to trivialize. And I'm yes. saying don't trust people yes. with it. Don't. Yeah. They, they don't. They won't mean any harm. But why even give it to them in the first place? You know, mantras are just, they're best kept within. So it's not that they're super secret. It's that I recommend keeping it they're a secret. They're private. They're personal. They're very yes. personal. They're yeah. very personal to us. And, um, and it's just not, you, you just don't want other people to be able to use it against you. You don't, uh, but they're not like super secret. Just, it's just, we advise not to. Yes. Yeah. There's a big um, theory that everybody has the same mantra. And someone was just telling me a story where it was her dad who had learned this practice back in the 70s. And, and he was with all of his friends. And they told each other their mantras. And they all had the same mantra. So they all quit. Now, what's crazy about that is they rejected their experience in meditation. Not everybody has the same mantra. That was a coincidence for sure, because I know all the mantras, you know. Um, but it was just a weird, it's just a weird thing to do. But also, remember, they're saying it all out loud, and it's almost like pulling the curtain back on Oz, mm-hmm. you know, and just being let down a little bit. But um, but Oz is very charming when he's, when you see that big floating head, you know, with with these mantras, they do work. You know they do, because you have one of, have had amazing experiences. And same with me. But, um, they're facet. They're fascinating, you know. And if people, yeah, I mean, there's not that much more to say about it. It's just, well, just yeah, very... I think that's a good foundation for it. You know, that you sort of develop this relationship with your own mantra, mm-hmm. and that's it's it's personal to you, and mm-hmm. um, that seems like yeah. And you'll notice too in the beginning, your mind plays with the mantra a little bit, mm-hmm. but after a while, it's going to feel like the mantra is playing with the mind. It's like the tail starts to wag the dog. They're very, the evolution of the mantras are very interesting as well. They become so faint, so subtle that, you know, in, in the future, you'll sit down to meditate and you'll close your eyes and 15 minutes into your meditation, you'll realize you haven't even said the mantra yet, but the mantra is there. It just keeps getting so refined that it's operating without you even hearing it anymore. And that happens. It sort of comes in and then goes out and yeah. then comes back. And Or you'll, you'll remember that, oh, wait, let me go back to the mantra. Exactly. And that does happen or in my experience so far. That certainly happens. Yeah. So what are some of the benefits that you've felt like since you've started meditating? I never, I, I, I should always ask my students this, but I rarely do. I usually wait till they tell me. But since we're doing this, what? I definitely think I have a calmer approach to things mm-hmm. as a physical like a m- mental and physical benefit that I've noticed mm-hmm. it's just because as a new mom things are I'm not sleeping as much I'm constantly you're constantly caring I have twins and mm-hmm. as you know so yeah. um <laughs> you know the, it's very demanding and it's it's exhausting and it's amazing but at the same time you just you you're sort of working from a deficit constantly because you're exhausted all the time. So I have noticed that just on the, the service level, I feel like I have more energy and mm-hmm. compassion and and um, 
patience for things. Yeah. I don't feel as quick to be panicked by things or by, you know, what's going on. I'm, I just, I can definitely tell that that's happened. You know, that, right. that difference has occurred. So, um, did you used to be like an anxious person? Highly anxious. Really? I, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but I also what think, about? well, I think for me, the anxiety really comes in with regard to my work and getting things accomplished. And mm-hmm. those have really, I've always felt like I needed the anxiety to get the work done or to be good at the work. Right. And so I feel like this, it is strange. I will do my afternoon meditation and, um, Sometimes I'll go in to do some work after that, and I feel like I'm getting things done in just a more efficient way, mm-hmm. which is really cool yeah. just to have that as a tool, you know, that I can use. It's like, oh, I, and we've talked about this a little bit, but you think, oh my gosh, 40 minutes a day, cumulative, you know, two mm-hmm. sessions of 20 minutes. That's a time commitment. Yeah. And, but I do find that I'm more efficient and able to get things done after I meditate or because of, you know, this mm-hmm. meditation practice has really helped me just, I don't, I can't pinpoint yeah. exactly what it is. I'm just more effective. Right. Yeah. I hear that a lot. I, 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 I have a friend in, in Silver Lake who, who he, he was saying like, I'm too busy to learn this. Like I often have to go audition in Santa Monica. I have to bartend, you know, at this time, I, you know, so he was very skeptical and then did it. And he just said, I can't believe how much time I buy from doing this 20 minutes. Like I pay yeah. 20 minutes and I get back two hours. And he said, I have more time than I've ever had yet. 40 minutes of my day is missing now yet. I have more time. He's like, I don't, I don't see how this is possible. I can't explain it. But he said, he's was always rushing into work at the very last minute. Yeah. And now he says he's like done before, like hours before, and he just he doesn't know how to how it adds up. But this is the whole thing: you do less, accomplish more. And a lot of, you know, when you're meditating, you're getting rid of stress. And when you get rid of stress, you you you're well. One of the things we stress out about is that we're not going to be. It's like drowning. Like you're not going to be able to keep your head above water. And um, and there is so the panic goes away. And when you can think calmly. You also can perceive that a lot of the things you thought you had to do, you don't actually have to do at all. Mm-hmm. Certain things will take care of themselves, or you get cognitions in your meditation. You get answers you weren't even looking or asking for about how to apply that to a solution in your daily life. And I find that with most of my students, everyone says it buys them time. Yeah. And if you prioritize your state of consciousness, then you have to prioritize meditation but prioritizing your state of consciousness first it if you do that it nourishes your entire life all your yeah. relationships yeah your work your creativity um your problems either your problems either you find solutions to your problems or you realize the problem wasn't, wasn't even a right. problem to begin with so and i think people like to have problems because it makes them feel like they have purpose in life if they're solving problems mm-hmm. But when you've been meditating for 10 years. Is that how you've been meditating for 10 years? I've been meditating for almost 13 years, I think. I I can't do math. But there's (laughs) there's something that happens at the 10-year mark. Right. Yeah, well, it kind of happened before that. But um, you just, you're, you're not, you don't feel like you're on a hamster wheel. You feel like there is as great a value to just being as there is to doing. And doing, and I'm not one of these people who are like, don't do anything, just right. be, you know. That's ridiculous. That's <laughs> ridiculous. Um, but do, just doing is also ridiculous. I think there has to be some kind of a balance. Yes. And I'm very happy doing nothing. Doing nothing is an activity, and doing nothing is very nourishing. But I don't, I just don't find myself running around trying to get happy anymore. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, I was scheming to get happy. Bef- before meditation, I had schemes. 
I had it all worked <laughs> out in my just mind. Searching, just yeah, you, what I was gonna do, yeah. how I was gonna, you know, do that, and you know, date her and get famous, do it. It was all ridiculous, right? Well, and that's such a trap where it's we're sort of taught to think if I can get this, then I will be happy. If I can get right. that, then I will be happy, and that is. That's dangerous thinking. It's really dangerous thinking because it's not true. Happiness can't be found outside of yourself, and that's what the whole world is trying to do: is is f- import fulfillment, import happiness through career, through money, through relationships, whatever it is, or on a much subtler level, uh, making sure people have certain thoughts about you. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I won't be happy until th- those groups of friends. Have certain thoughts about perceive me. me in some yes. way. Yeah, and this is a very you know we talk about uh, we talk about fulfillment and field dependency, for instance, which is happiness and the answers to, to all my problems and fulfillment live outside of me, and I have to go out and get those things, pull them into my life, and then I can relax. Then I can be okay with myself. Um, but you know, as you know, you know, we're both in some sense, Hollywood people, <laughs> we know plenty of people yes, who have it all, yeah. who are absolutely miserable right? and who are scared. You know, I had, I had a, there was a friend of mine who I wanted to learn how to meditate and she didn't, but one day she called me up and she said, um, I, today I booked two TV shows and I'm doing them both. And do you know why I'm calling you? I said, because you're scared you're going to lose it. She said, yeah. She said, I'm, I, this has been one of the most scary and depressing days of my life and I should be happy. So I will take your meditation course. <laughs> um, you know, when you've been meditating, you move from object to referral happiness to self-referral happiness, meaning I am the source of fulfillment. I am fulfillment itself, and I don't need to import anything. That doesn't mean once you meditate, you won't be able to, you won't have any desires. You you still have desires, you just aren't attached to the outcome. You don't take yourself to be the author of your desire. You go after them, but if the desire doesn't turn out, you're fine. Yeah. It doesn't make or break you at all. You can't make or break. If you have a consciousness state where you're already fulfilled because you're in touch with what's inside you, nothing can make or break you. If anything, you're just looking for where you can help, mm-hmm. where you can serve, where you can add to the value of people's lives. And that's way more fun. But there's this sort of pervasive thinking right now, and it, it's interesting because you say, you know, you have to seek it within you, the mm-hmm. happiness. And I feel like the ego and people's ego more than ever has become this overbearing thing. But this is the absence Mm -hmm. of that, which is also really fascinating because someone could perceive that differently. They could perceive it as like, oh, well, I'm the most important, you know, but it's not that. It's the absence of that. Right. I mean, you, you, when you, when you first start meditation, you have to be a little selfish. Mm -hmm. But again, it's what did Jesus say? Don't take the splinter out of your neighbor's eye until you remove the board out of your own. You have you you have to put on your oxygen mask first before you can help anybody else. It's like that kind of thing, you know. Um, and we all understand why you're not putting it on, like you know, the diagram. Why you don't put the oxygen mask on the child first? Mm-hmm. You you're more capable, so you save yourself first, and then you can help others. And with meditation, it's very good to be selfish. It's very good to claim your meditation practice and to claim the time because when you're doing that, you'll be able to not only fulfill your own desires, but help serve others and bring, you know, you just have so much more to offer. Uh, But what you want to do is get your your own consciousness state in order because no one can do it for you. Mm. No one can make you enlightened. No one can bring you fulfillment. That's something that you have to choose for yourself. And that's not, I mean, it's selfish in a way, but who benefits? Not just you, the whole world. If you're happier and more fulfilled and more adaptable, you're not a strain on nature. 
you're actually serving nature. You know, there, there are meditators should be people who can adapt to anything. We, we, we are, that's the hallmark of a good meditator, someone who is very adaptable. It's not that we're perfect. You know, we, I, I have my breaking point where I lose enough adaptation energy where suddenly I'm like, I'm checking out for the day. Yeah. I'm done. Right. But I get there a lot slower than a lot of people. But I also know people who want everybody to adapt to them. And that is someone who can't adapt at all. So they're making the whole world adapt to them. And then they have other people running around, you know, trying to make sure that person is okay. That's, That's a very selfish person. That's a selfish person. But someone who's like, I'm going to meditate and then I'll have adaptation energy and then I'll be able to help myself and others. That's not that selfish, you know? Seems like a great metaphor for humanity in general who has terraformed the earth to adapt to them. It's like this <laughs> yes. greater, yeah. It's so true. And, yeah. and when you, the, the longer you meditate, the more into flowing with nature you are. Mm-hmm. But you have to understand how the laws of nature work. So you can um, collaborate with the laws of nature and also go with the flow. You know, if you jump into a river, the worst thing you could do is try and swim upstream. The most fun thing you could do is float and see where the river takes you. And nature is a, there's a current going on. And when you, when you become a meditator, you start to sort of harmonize with that. You, you flow in harmony with nature and it's, it's fun, it's adventurous, it's beautiful. And you always wind up somewhere much greater than where you were because you evolve faster. And that's why everybody should meditate. Well, that is a question <laughs> I keep asking you. Why doesn't everyone meditate? That's, the, that's what I asked my teacher <laughs> the day after I learned. I said, why isn't the whole world doing this? And there's, there's lots of reasons. Um, one, this meditation has been... And, and we, do, we are seeing a, uh, like a... An uptick? The, yeah, uh, in, yeah, in meditation. Everyone's a meditator. Because of COVID or because well, of just the before last COVID, five years? Or- meditation is having a, it's having like a moment. Yeah. And everyone's meditating and everyone, it's funny, my, my friend Light Watkins, who has his own podcast and he's, he's, he's a dear friend. He's an awesome meditation teacher. He said he went to a, um, a dinner recently. There was 12 people there, I think. Um, and they all went around the room saying what they did. And they were all like this, I'm this, I'm this, and I'm a meditation teacher. And every single person said they were a meditation teacher. And I think Light was really the only med- meditation teacher there. Like, truly, you know, and he said, and he didn't even say he was a meditation teacher. He said, I'm an author. But everyone's, a, it seems there are so many teachers all of a sudden. And there's all this interest in it. But, um, but this technique, but like you and I had problems with our previous technique. Mm-hmm. So we both quit. So one of the reasons why not a lot of people are doing it is people have tried to meditate and they fail at it. And they, they hear about meditation. They think I should try this. So they sit up on their bed and they close their eyes and they say, I'm going to meditate. I'm going to be a meditator this year. And they put their hands into little mudras, mm-hmm. you know, cause they've seen a picture they close their eyes and they meditate and who knows what they're doing maybe they're in their head they're going om or something like that or they're focusing on their breath and we know what happens three or four or five minutes into it they're like they're opening one eye yeah yeah what the this what's supposed to happen and and then you know a week later someone might say meditation they'll go i tried that it it wasn't for me yeah and that person will now not try to meditate they it's meditation seems like it's something we should be able to do without instruction so we try it and our experience is shit and so we never do it again and that's a tragic you know uh this is why teachers are so important i tried meditating so many different ways over a period of eight years and nothing worked until i met a teacher who you pay by the way. Mm-hmm. And that seems weird. That's another reason why people don't want to do it. 
like people think, why should I pay for meditation? It feels like something they should get for free because it's going to better them and better the world. So why aren't there people just handing this out for free? Um, and that brings us to worthy inquiry. If you, you, you know, if you, you have to invest. Yes. You, you have to invest. You, you, there has to be a fence that you climb over. And the meditation teachers who are, are very good don't want to waste their time. And that might seem selfish, but I know as a meditation teacher, if you don't put up a fence, you, people will treat you like a wind-up guru and you won't have any time to yourself. And that's not who we are. We're, I, I want to conserve my energy for the people who really want it. Mm-hmm. And I want to conserve my, my space, my talent, or whatever it is, for the people, you know, you might have 50 people outside the fence and one person says, I'm just going to climb over and knock on the door. And that person deserves it because they, they really want it. The other pers- people want to be just like, you know, you're my wind-up guru now. Well, and as a new meditator, it feels like, okay, I've invested in this for myself. This mm-hmm. is something that really feels like... I'm getting a return on it. And that exactly. sounds, it feels a little strange to say, but it's true. It, it, it feels yeah. like, oh, wow, this is something I did for myself. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to take the time each day to continue that. And that feels really great. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's a great point because when I, when I charge, you know, there, like when you were there, I think what was there four or five people mm-hmm. and two signed up, you mm-hmm. and someone else. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and I understand why people don't, but I also love it when people do because I know now once they've paid, they're going to be like, all right, buddy, I want to t- return on my investment, so you better answer some questions. And now I'm in heaven, absolute heaven. This is what I want. I want someone who's going to hold my feet to the fire and try to draw knowledge out of me. And I like that because I like hearing knowledge coming out of my mouth. <laughs> It's way better than me playing video games, which I also like doing. But it's more fun to sit here with you and share what I've learned, uh, and and be of be of use, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so people don't do it because of the money. That that stops them, you know. Yeah. And I know people who have who have said, "I can't do that," you know. That's that's just ridiculous. And then they come back three years later, and they learn, and they, and like after day two, they're like, "I can't believe." I waited four years. I can't to believe do I this. waited so long to do this. What? Right, and that's another thing. You yeah. and I almost. So this is crazy. Yeah, this is worth. So talking we were about. supposed to have met years ago right. through a mutual friend of ours. Yeah. Um, he and I shared an office, uh-huh. and he said he had told me and about meditation, and, yeah. and I had a lot of questions, but I just wasn't ready. Right. I, and he said you should meet my teacher, but we just. And you know what his mindset was? Why isn't the whole world doing this? Yes. And he was trying to get you to meditate. But you didn't. And I thought, oh, cool, I'll meet him some, you know, I'll meet him right. at some point. And, um, and then we didn't realize this until now, wor- worlds later and cities later yeah. and different locations. We've, we've lived in New York at the same, we were neighbors yes. in New York at the same time. Yes. We were neighbors in LA at the same yes. time. <laughs> and now we're neighbors in Santa Fe and it finally And it finally, out. something clicked. Something clicked <laughs> and we actually met. But isn't there a saying that it, when the student is ready, the teacher appears? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I but just, I also think maybe just people weren't ready for a podcast back in New York. <laughs> <laughs> or like, <laughs> they weren't ready for this podcast. No I don't even know if ready we're ready for this. Now. We're definitely not ready now either. But we're going forward. But think about that. There yeah. was a time where someone you trust mm-hmm. and really like was trying to get you to meditate. And your reaction was, eh. You know, and that's, that's, I think people don't, if people knew, actually knew what this was, and they knew the, they had, and they knew they could imagine the experience you're having when you meditate, there'd be, I'd have 50 people a class and I'd work every single week. If people knew what actually happened during this meditation. But why don't they know? I mean, what, it's just. Because why didn't you know? When Adam told you, just you know, wasn't ready. You just weren't ready, and I think that's part of it. You know, people just—they have to be ready and re- ready for what? I, you know, I know. You know, I think I don't know if I told you about this, but this other student of mine, you know, she wanted to learn, and now all she posts on her Instagram is 
Anybody know any tips for sleeping? <laughs> what? Uh, oh, yeah. You know, this is a, she learned with me because she couldn't sleep. She started practicing and her insomnia went away and then she quit. What does she want in life? She wants to be a victim and she wants the love, you know, that comes from, um, Here, let she me help quit you. Yeah. meditation so she can stop sleeping again. So she can tell everybody that her life is miserable and they go, Oh, you know, do this. I, I, I don't, she knows the answer. I know she knows the answer because I taught her the answer, but that's baffling too. Sometimes people learn this, they start to get happy and they either prefer their victim status mm -hmm. or, and this is another interesting subject, is they don't feel they deserve the happiness or they feel they deserve suffering of some, time, of some kind. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, and it's very strange to do that, but there's all kinds of people in the world and there are people who maybe find that for whatever time in their life, it's more beneficial to them to suffer than it is to not. And, um, and I don't know what to say to that. I'm just there to catch, catch them when they come and say like, I want to learn, or yeah. I've been, I stopped meditating for three years and, and I need to get back into it. But people don't learn for all kinds of reasons. It is funny that, <laughs> so I'm a serial sharer. Like I, if yeah. I find something I like, I want everyone to know I'm the about same. it. And I just can't help. And I'm that way with music. That's yeah. why I do the work that I do. Like yeah. I, I have to have people experience this great thing. So everyone I talk to lately, I it's I just will bring it up. I'll try, right. I'll kind of casually bring it up. I'm trying meditating and it's been <laughs> awesome. And it's, it is this, thing where I find that some people are really interested in, and want to know more about it right. and other people have sort of that experience where mm -hmm. they just don't, you know, it doesn't really yeah. resonate with them in a way that they're, they're interested yeah, exactly. at all. Yeah. And, and they, yeah, exactly. And maybe it's because they don't think it'll work because they've tried it or maybe they're just not interested. Yeah. And you just think that when I first became a meditation teacher, I had this one friend who's like, oh, I got someone for you. And they're always dragging these hippie type <laughs> people to my intro talks. But the person who's dragging them wasn't learning they just were like oh you're a meditation teacher you should meet so and you should meet moon feather she she's gonna love this it's like I, I get the hip like but i don't want i i want suffering people to learn i want people <laughs> yeah. who are overwhelmed because they have three kids and they're you know like i i want normal she wound up learning by the way I love that concept, though, of the character who just shows up for the intro talks every time, but doesn't actually right. learn the meditation Drag practice. It, dragging meditate what she thinks meditation. <laughs> like the ideal like. meditation person. Yeah, like oh, you know, initiate her. She has a, a you know, she has she's, a coexist bumper sticker. She's an aura sticker. that's really purple. Right, yeah. exactly. She's <laughs> exactly. So, um, but, but I, 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 I like the people like in New York who, you know. Um, who just come in and they're like a sweaty guy in a business suit, finance, and they say, I don't believe you. I think this is all bullshit, mm -hmm. um, but I'm desperate and I'm willing to try. Those are my favorites because well, then, you know, I know Moonfeather is going to get it, <laughs> yeah. you know, but I want Ralph, <laughs> the finance dude who's two weeks away from a heart attack He's to suffering. learn. Exactly. Yes, because it's seeing them transcend yeah. and transform yeah. is absolutely amazing. Seeing the skeptic soften and go, whoa, yeah. this works and my relationship with my wife is better. Yeah. And, I, and I, I'm not staying late at work. I'm, in fact, I'm going in late and I'm leaving early and my numbers have gone up. And, you know, I like, I like that. I like teaching normal people. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I, it's, there's, we, I wish the whole world will meditate, but the whole world never will. And the whole world doesn't need to. Yeah. My teacher's teacher, Maharishi Mahashyogi, said really for there to be a, a renaissance, a worldwide renaissance of, in consciousness, there should be all that needs to be taught is, I think, square root of 1% of the population. That'll do it. I don't know why square root, because again, I don't know anything about math, but that's what he said. Yeah. You just need a tiny amount and that kind of shock wave from those people 
will uplift all of humanity. Yeah. And we're actually moving in that direction, even though it looks like everything's falling apart. Things are actually getting better. More people are meditating. Initiations are up all the time. And we just need a lot of people meditating, but we don't need everybody. They'll, they'll receive the benefits from the meditators. But it's more fun to be a meditator. On the inside. Yeah. Yeah. What else? Is I, that good? I mean, should we, I don't know. How long? I, I... Yeah, that was like... Yeah, that's about uh, an hour. That's perfect. We definitely are going to need to redo the intro. on Vedic meditation, please visit teobarkhart.com. Slouching Towards Enlightenment is produced by the Moon Recording Company, executive produced by Teo Barkhart and Brian Rose. Our theme music is Supplicant Song by Fredo Viola. <laughs> <laughs>